as Isaac and Troy just so aptly uh, teed up, we are starting a brand new series today, okay? And it's a series on the Acts of the Apostles, or Acts, the book of Acts. Some of you who are here, uh, you might be like, um, if you're not from a church background or you're not familiar with the scriptures, you might be like, who names a book Acts? Like, that's just kind of odd. Like, that's, we, those of us who are really familiar, we've been around for a while, we, we've kind of grown accustomed to this. But if you're not from, you know, a church background, like, what, what does that mean? Like, the book of Acts. Well, the book of Acts is short for the Acts of the Apostles, or the activities of the Apostles, or the actions of the Apostles. Because what the book of Acts covers is everything that happens after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? We have four books, four narratives that cover the life, death, uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have one book, the book of Acts, that kind of covers what happened after Jesus rose from the dead, okay? Is there anything that, that, any story there? Is there anything that we can learn from there? And the book of Acts is what kind of what covers that. But the book of Acts of the Apostles, that in and of itself is kind of a misnomer, okay? Because the primary mover and shaker, the, the, the main character behind the scenes of the book of Acts is not necessarily the disciples themselves. It's the Holy Spirit behind what's going on and empowering the disciples to do all these crazy and amazing things. And that's really cool because we just got done doing a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? What kind of fruit does he produce in our lives? Okay. And so the, the normal natural question that, that might beg is, what does it actually look like when the Holy Spirit invades our reality? When he comes into our world, when he begins to you know, work in the hearts and lives of men and women. And so Acts, the book of Acts, is kind of exhibit A, in answering that question, okay? What does it look like? And we're going to see what it looks like. And I'll tell you what it looks like. I'll give you a short answer. It looks crazy, okay? You know, he's doing all sorts of amazing, fantastic things that you might, as first blush reading this, and say, this is really even hard to believe, okay? But it's, but it's real nonetheless, okay? It might not be our experience, but it's real nonetheless. It's kind of like... Uh, this couple that I just had a chance to marry last night, okay? I was up in Green Bay doing the, the wedding. I had the privilege and, and responsibility of doing a wedding for a young couple from our, uh, our church. At least Levy is from our Jackson site. And, uh, and it was just an amazing day. It was a great day. Um, you know, there was outside wedding. And, and uh, just as I pronounced a man and wife, the sun came out. And it's like, oh, you know. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was just really cool. They were surrounded by friends and family. They had a great reception afterwards. And, uh, and so Lauren and Levy, if uh, holding true to form, uh, they are going to go off on a little vacation for the next week or so. And they're going to go on what? Their honeymoon. They're going to go out on their honeymoon. That's right. And on their honeymoon, uh, because we have little ears present, uh, let's just say they're going to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Just all sorts of wild and crazy stuff. They're going to have, they're going to have a lot of fun on their honeymoon. Okay? And they're going to have fun with uh, a frequency and a regularity that they might never, ever experience again for the rest of their married life. Okay? 
And, uh, and so uh, it's just crazy what's going on in the honeymoon. And, and maybe uh, years from now, when they're old and decrepit and 52 years old, you know, <laughs> they, might, they might pull out their, their photo album from their wedding day and, and their reception and their honeymoon and, and reminisce and, and relive and all, just have all those fond memories. And, and maybe one of them, you know, particularly the husband, is kind of like, you know, things don't happen with the same kind of regularity that they did during the honeymoon there, you know, it's some kind of frequency. And, and the book of Acts is kind of like that. I, I don't say this from any kind of personal experience. This is what people tell me, you know, by the way. Uh, but uh, but the, the book of Acts is kind of like that, okay? We read the book of Acts and we see God doing this amazing things, like 3,000 people get baptized in one day, okay? People, you know, are raised back from the dead to life again. And we can read the book of Acts and we can say, wow, you know, that's really cool, but that really isn't part of my regular experience, you know, in the Christian life these days. And, and there's, there's a couple of answers to that question, you know, when you read the book of Acts. The, the first one is this, is that, is that the book of Acts, when you read it, it's, it's, it's the honeymoon period of the church. I mean, the church is brand new. It's just been born. It's, uh, the Holy Spirit is breaking out and doing all these crazy and exciting things. And, and that's not just sustained through the whole length of the history of the church, but, uh, but it is at the beginning, just like a honeymoon is in a marriage. But the other part of that is the fact that things like that are happening. They do happen in our worlds, particularly in, where, in areas where the, where the kingdom is really pushing out on the fringes and breaking out into new territory. We're seeing healings taking place and seeing people come to Christ, Christ in, in amazing numbers. So, so things like that are happening. They, they might be our experience here in the United States because we have this, this long-term, you know, 200 years you know, of history of, of Christianity in, in our experience here. But um, but that doesn't mean that we can't be inspired, that we can't be encouraged, that we can't be motivated by the things that we read in the book of Acts. And when we see, read these things and see these things, we can, you know, learn lessons for our life. And we can, we can pray and say, God, would you do these kinds of things today, just like you did in, in the book of Acts. And it's, this is the, what we see in the book of Acts is the beginning of this movement of Jesus Christ. In our world, it's it's the, the we've aptly titled this the movement begins, and this it all begins right here. Now this movement hasn't abated, it hasn't slowed at all. It, in fact, even the last hundred years, you know, this movement has continued to move forward and gain and gain momentum. Like in places like China, okay, in the 1950s, China went through this thing they called the Cultural Revolution, and they kicked out all the missionaries. Out of China, okay? And everybody in the missions world was, you know, just wringing their hands and going, oh, what's going to happen? There's no more missionaries in China. And what happened is that the national believers got together and they went up into the mountains. And there they, they prayed and they fasted and they got in their faces before God and they said, God, what is it going to take for us to reach our country and our countrymen for Christ? And the Holy Spirit fell on them in powerful powerful ways and they went out emboldened to tell their people about Christ and today today they estimate that there may be as many as a hundred million Christians in China today okay 30,000 baptisms a day taking place in China okay just amazing stuff okay in uh in Africa same kind of thing around the turn of the century in the 1900s uh when uh, Africa was just it was just 10 million believers in all of Africa. Okay, around that, that time it was 10% of the population. Today 
they estimate that there's probably around 360 million believers in Africa today. 50% of the population of Africa identifies as Christian in some way, followers of Jesus Christ. And so this movement that began in the book of Acts continues to this day to spread and gain momentum. But, but what we're reading, is we're, we're reading about ground zero. We're reading about when it all gets Started, And our hope and our prayer as we begin this series is that we'll be able to take lessons and principles of what we see God doing during this time that we can apply to our lives and to our corporate life as a church, even today, in this day and age. So um, let me just have you turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. You'll find that on page 770, I believe. 770. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray. You can continue to look, turn your Bibles while I pray. You can do two things at once. It's fine. Um, But I'm going to pray that God uh, uses the Word of God today. Father, we come before you in dependency and in need and in understanding that unless your Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and in our lives. That nothing of any kind of significance will ever take place. And so our humble prayer is that you would take the living word of God and by the spirit of God that you would plant it in our hearts and that seed would find good and fertile soil. And that as a result of being exposed to the Word of God this morning, that we would be changed. That we would walk out of here different people than when we walked in. That's our heart's desire. We pray that you would be faithful to do this. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to just read through Acts chapter 1, here up through verse 8, and then we're going to just pick it apart a little bit this morning. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to uh, the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. So he starts off here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? This brings up all sorts of questions, right? Okay? (laughs) What is that former book? Okay? And and who is it who's writing this passage right here? And and who is this Theophilus guy anyways? All right? Those are all questions that should just be popping, popping up into our brain. So this, this book is actually a follow-up book. It's, it's, uh, it's a kind of a sequential book from the book of Luke, 
which is the Gospel of Luke, which was written by a man named Luke, surprisingly. Okay? Uh, Luke wrote one of the four Gospels, and he took uh, it upon himself to get this orderly account. This is how he introduces the book of Luke. This orderly account of the life of Jesus, which means he went out, he researched, he interviewed people, he did, did the kind of due diligence to find out all that Jesus did and teach. And, uh, and so this book is a follow-up to him. He's writing to this guy, Theophilus, and uh, we're not quite sure who Theophilus is because I didn't get a chance to read the commentary on that one. So, um, but anyways, but it's a follow-up book on Luke right there, okay? Now, if you were to turn over in your Bible about 20 pages over to the end of Luke, what you see is the very ending of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. And in chapter 24, we're going to put the verses up here if you don't want to turn, but in chapter 24, the end of the Gospel of Luke is the beginning of the book of Acts. There's this overlap there. He's doing like this, you know, like, like, like a good uh, adventure series does, okay? Last issue, this is what happened, okay? Last episode, this is what we saw. This is how he begins the book of Acts. He says, this is how I left it off in the, in the book of Luke. And the book of Luke ends by this. He says, he told them, this is the risen Christ, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day uh, and repentance and for the, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, so the exact same scene, exact same situation. Uh, same kind of words, a little bit different order. He's saying, listen, I want you to stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. You're going to need this Holy Spirit power in order to go out and do what I'm enabling you. Don't try to do this under your own power. This is something that is supernatural that's going to happen by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is anticipating is he's saying you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, And Jesus' expectation and anticipation for his disciples, for his followers, is that when, when they receive the Holy Spirit, that they would go out and be his witnesses. They would talk and tell people about him. That is Jesus' expectation for his disciples who receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, So that's a former book. And then you get down in Acts, down to verse 6 here. Let's go, let's go up to verse 3. It says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to just try to imagine for yourself, just for a moment, what this must have been like for the apostles. Okay? They lived with Jesus, did life with him, Walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, spent their days with him for three years. He was their follower. They were his leaders. And then they see him die on the cross. They see him arrested. They see him beaten, tortured. They see him die on the cross and put in a grave. Okay? All right? And then three days later, he's alive again. And now he's talking with them. They're having conversations with a dead man who's now alive. Okay? And he's even eating with them. Okay? This, like, this is just blow your mind. 
All right? There's all sorts of questions that have to become, they, like, what does this mean? Like, this, this changes everything. Like, what's, what's going to happen next? That would be the question, like, I'm going to, what's going to happen now? Like, Jesus, you just rose from the dead. You're here with us. What's going to happen now? And they basically are asking that question. In verse 6, they ask the normal, natural question that every single Jewish person would have asked at this time. They say, are you at this time, Lord, going to ex- restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, you, we now know that you're Messiah. Are you going to trot into the temple? You know, are you going to restore the glory back to Israel? Is, are we going to be the epicenter of the world again, just like we were under David? Are you going to overthrow the Romans and put us back on top? You know, is, are those kind of things going to happen? Because that's exactly what every red-blooded Jewish person would have thought when they saw Jesus, the Messiah, rose from the dead. But he answers them this way. He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the word. He kind of says three parts there. He says, listen, it's not for you to worry about the times or dates. And those are, my father has set those by his own authority. But you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. You're going to need this essential power from the Holy Spirit. And he's going to empower you to a very, for a very specific task. He's going to empower you to go out and be my witnesses, to tell people about me. That's what he's going to give you power to do. Jesus' Jesus's full expectation and anticipation for his followers is that as a result of receiving the Spirit into their lives, that they would go out and bear witness to others about him. That was his expectation, is that that would normally natural. That would be the byproduct of his followers being filled with the Spirit, is that they would go out and tell other people about him. Now, we're at the time of the year when there's all sorts of things happening in high schools and colleges and universities across the United States. What's going on right now at this time here? Graduations, right. Yeah, people are graduating. And they're walking across the stages and they're getting what? They're getting their diplomas, right. Whether you're in high school or college or university, graduate school, you're getting these diplomas. And and let's say that you were uh, studying to be an electrical engineer. You're at an MSOE for about four years and you're studying to be an electrical engineer. You put in the hard work. Your parents paid tons and tons of money for you to get this good education. And, uh, and, and you, you, you got the degree, you, you finished all your finals, and you walk across the stage and you get this diploma, and you're all excited, and you, you have the family over for a meal afterwards, and you say, say hey, quiet, everybody, everybody, everybody just, just quiet. I have, I, have the, I have this announcement that I want to make. I have decided to go and work as a checker at Walmart. Your parents would not be real happy right now. They're like, we, we paid all that money for you to get a good education at MSOE so you can be a checker at Walmart. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a checker at Walmart if there's any checkers here this morning, you know. But you don't go to four years at MSOE so that you can go and be a checker at Walmart, right? That would be the big, that's crazy. That's, you, you, you got this degree, you could go and be an electrical engineer somewhere. Or let's say you were studying to be a nurse practitioner. 
You went through all, you know, the, the training and all the education that you go through so you can help people and heal people and work with sick people and stuff like that. And, and at the end of getting all your training, you get rock across the, you know, the stage and get your diploma. And then you go out on Facebook and you say, you know what? I've decided that I am going to go flip burgers at McDonald's. But do you think you'd get some re- responses to that post? Your friends would be like, yeah, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? Just flipping burgers. I mean, that's not what you go to medical school for. That's not why you get your diploma as a nurse practitioner. You, you, go, so you can go out and use that to, to heal people and help people. In the same way, Jesus would have never expected and anticipated that his followers would be filled with his spirit and that they would go out and do nothing with it. His full expectation was that they would receive the Holy Spirit and that they would go out and do something with it. Specifically, that they would bear witness to Him and who He is. Now, let me just kind of pick this up apart a little bit with this whole statement. He says, he says you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. So, one of the things we need to do is we need to receive power. And what does this power look like? You know, we, a lot of us, when it comes to talking about Jesus, I'll tell you what, we need power. Because we get scared, right? Anybody here get scared when you think about talking to people about Jesus? I do. That's right. Okay. I think everybody here would feel the same. My palms start to sweat and my voice cracks like I'm a 13-year-old kid. You know, and, and you know, just, you know, stuff like this. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit gives people is one of the things that gives is courage. Courage. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we see this. This is after they prayed, the disciples prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Okay? And they were all filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And what happened? They spoke the word of God boldly. Boldly. Some of us need courage. Okay? Some, the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to speak about Him is courage. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. Another thing that we need is conviction. Okay? In Acts chapter 5, the, the disciples are told, Hey, don't ever speak about Jesus again. Ever by the authorities of their day. Okay? He says, they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. What is that a picture of? Conviction. Conviction. They're like, this is from God. This is the way of God. This is, this is the good way. This is the right way. This is what God is doing in our world. This is how he's reconciling humanity back to himself. We can't not speak about this. They're filled with conviction as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are two things that we need if we're ever going to get to base one in telling people about Jesus, some courage and some conviction. And then he says, he says, You are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You. Okay? Now, this might not come as any surprise over there, but the primary tool that that God uses to tell other people about himself is other people. Okay? He says, you will be my witnesses. Okay? He's not a program. Not, you know, not a billboard or something like that. He says, you, I use people. You are going to be my witnesses. And, uh, and I, this was really driven home to me when I was in college. I went to a conference called Urbana. 
It was way back in 1987. And I was in a big room like this. It was filled with people. There's probably about 300, 400 people in this room. And the speaker at the time, he said this. He said, hey, listen, I want to do just kind of, kind of a survey, you know, to kind of prove a point. How many of you here have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of a radio broadcast? And I'm looking around the room. And I'm, I did not see a single hand go up. And he said, how many of you here have come to faith in Jesus Christ, become a follower of Jesus as a result of watching a television program? And I looked around the room and about, I could see two hands throughout the auditorium. And he said, how many of you here have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of a friend or a relative telling you about Jesus or bringing you into a meeting or church service where you can hear about him? And the whole place went up. Every single hand in the place went up. And he said, he said uh, it just proves my point. It proves his point for all of us, too, that God's primary means of telling other people about himself is people. Now, we, we don't like that, uh, that algorithm a whole lot, so we try to think of other means that we can do it, you know? A lot more creative means, you know? Something like this. You guys may have seen this. Beyond reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt Jesus is alive. All right? Now, we see that, and because, like, that's on our side, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's right, Jesus is alive. But if you're a non-church-going, cynical, skeptical person, what does this do for you? Does this draw you in closer, like, give you warm fuzzies, like, I want to know more about that? Or does that have the exact opposite intended effect. I'll tell you what, if you're a hardened, cynical person about religion, skeptical about this whole God thing, the last thing you want or need is a billboard. What you need is a flesh and blood person in front of you who can show you what it looks like when a person is fully redeemed by the living God and have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And they can look at you and say, yeah, I know you, you and your wife, you guys used to fight all the time. Now you don't fight anymore. What happens? You know, you're just different, you know, or you used to be, I know you used to be an addict. I know that. I know that because you worked for me. You were an addict. We had trouble with you all the time and now you're clean. What happened? You know, you're, you know, that guy that I used to work for, he is such a jerk. He was, used to be such a jerk, but now he's actually nice. He's encouraging. He's kind. He's grace-giving. All those things. That, see, they, the antidote to a hardened, you know, skeptical, cynical person to the gospel is, is not a billboard. It's a flesh and blood human being. And he says, he says you will be my witnesses. Okay, when you're a witness... What are you asked to do in a court of law? Testify, right. You're, you're called to testify, to give testimony. Give testimony to what? What you've seen, what you've seen and heard, okay? You, don't, you aren't asked to go beyond that at all, okay? You're not asked to make anything up. You're not asked to, to go be outside of your realm of expertise at all. And in the same way of talking about Jesus, all Jesus wants you to do is just Give testimony of what he's doing in your life. Okay? Don't go beyond. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to be an expert or anything like that. Just give a testimony to what 
Jesus is doing in your life. Now, that's a challenge for some of us because in order to give a testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life, Jesus needs to be doing something in your life, right? Right? Like now, all of us, when you think about, you know, about telling someone about Jesus, we think, well, you know, what I wanted, I had to tell them about that time when I was in sixth grade and I was at camp and I raised my hand and I walked an aisle or, or something like that, something 20 years ago today. And, and, and that's not necessarily it. What Jesus wants us to do is, is perhaps to talk about what he's doing in our life today, right now, how he's changing us. Even today, hopefully Jesus is changing us even today. And we can, we can normally, naturally give testimony about that, right? right? I have this friend, her name is Jenny Elfson. Jenny uh, moved into Milwaukee several years ago, and uh, she moved into uh, this apartment complex, and she lived next door to this Indian couple. They were Sikhs. And, uh, and Jenny is a Christ follower. And so they made friends with their Sikh neighbors, their Indian neighbors, and she used to go for walks with her Indian neighbor friend. And as they were going out for a walk, uh, the Indian lady asked her, she said, hey, how's it going lately? And Jenny replied, she says, you know, actually, it's, it's not going that well right now. She says, well, what's up? And she said, well, you know, I was reading in my scripture, in my Bible this week, that Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. And, and I've been convicted because I have a real fear about money, that we're not going to have enough money. And, and I, I realize that this really has a stranglehold in my life. I, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do about it, but I'm, I'm really wrestling with it. And the, her Sikh friend was like, wow, you know, she says, I wrestle with that too. I struggle with that too. And Jenny said, well, what do you think? And she said, I, I don't know. And she said, well, I, what, she said, what are you going to do? And she said, I, I don't know, but I'm going to go home and pray about it and talk to my husband. So... The next week, she was walking with her Sikh friend again, going on a walk. And her Sikh friend said, said so, hey, what happened? What, you know, what's, what's, how are you doing with this whole money issue? And she said, well, you'll never, you'll never guess. My husband and I, we got together, we prayed about it, and we realized that what Jesus wants us to do is to give away more money. And so we've done that. And, uh, and you'll never believe what happened. We've seen God be more faithful to us and provide for us in ways that we never would have expected. And her Sikh friend was like, wow, that was, that's really cool. I've never heard of that before. Now, Jenny wasn't making this Indian friend of hers a project, was she? She's just sharing about what Jesus did in her life. And so, but if Jesus isn't doing anything in our lives, then we don't have much to testify to. And so, well, some of us, we may need to learn what does it look like to be in a rhythm and a routine where we're letting the Word of God and the words of Jesus really change our heart and penetrate our heart. Because when that happens, then we'll actually have something to testify to of what Jesus is doing in our lives. So, Hugh Halter, in his book, um, Flesh, has this great, great progression that he talks about. And it's, it's modeled on the life of Jesus, of how he came into our world, lived amongst us. Uh, he is the incarnation, Jesus kind of moving into our, into our neighborhood, living amongst us for 30 years. Uh, and it, and it, as a result of living well and being uh, gracious and kind and grace-giving and being a friend of sinners and tax collectors, he earned this reputation. He earned a reputation. People loved to be around him. People who are far from God, they loved 
going to, to be with Jesus. The religious people got kind of a little mad at him, but the people who were far from God loved being with Jesus. And as a result of having this reputation, he got a chance to have some really great conversations with people. He had this conversation with this woman at the well in John chapter 4. Really, really cool. And in this context of having this conversation, he got a chance to talk about the fact that he actually is the Messiah and have a confrontation with the facts of who he is. Okay? But it starts with, with incarnation, living well, and then getting a reputation with people, being a person who's loving, kind, cares for others, having some conversations about life and everything and how Jesus is changing in your life, and eventually getting a chance to actually getting to bear witness about who Jesus is and confrontation with the gospel. Now, we're good old-fashioned 21st century evangelicals, so, uh, so we just like to go, let's just go, let's just skip the preliminaries, let's just go right to the confrontation, okay? Let's just, let's just go right, tell them right about Jesus Christ, okay, and who he is. Uh, we don't need to deal with all this incarnation and living well amongst people type of thing. But that's really the, the model of Jesus. And if we live well, gain a good reputation of someone who loves well, listens well, okay, listens, asks good questions, okay, we get to have conversations. And in the context of having conversations, we can do some confrontation with the truth. He says, you're going to be my witnesses, beginning here in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then to Samaria, and ultimately you're going to go to the ends of the earth. You're going to do this in the world. And, and the context, the, the grammar of the context doesn't say that this is sequential. Okay, first do Jerusalem, then when you get that down, get it down good. Okay, then go to Judea. Then after you're done with Judea, then, then go. It's, it's, it's not sequential. It's simultaneous. All four, all the time. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria ends of the earth. And if you do this well, he'll send you to the ends of the earth. There's a man here in our uh, church. He plays bass for us, Steve Wirtz. You might know him as the guy up here who plays bass. Steve is a great guy. Steve is uber, uber smart. Really, really brilliant. And he works for Rockwell Automation. Rockwell sends him all over the world to troubleshoot for them, uh, to do, do stuff in various parts of the world. And he was in Turkey one, uh, one year, uh, working alongside this man, they were troubleshooting a problem, and they worked together for the entire week. And while Steve was with them, he just talked with them, just asked them questions. What is it like to be, uh, live in Turkey? What's it like to grow up a Muslim? What's it like to be in Istanbul? It just started talking and stuff like that. And at the end of the week, the guy turned to him and said, he said, well, do you want to meet my family? And Steve's like, sure, I'd love to, you know. And he said, well, before you go, let's, I, I want to bring you over and have dinner at, at my, my family's house. So he invited Steve over to dinner. He got, got to meet the wife, the kids, the whole kit and caboodle. And, uh, and they just struck up a great friendship. Just struck up a great friendship. And, uh, and then he got back home and they said, listen, we want you to bring your wife back over to Turkey. And we want to meet your family. And you want your family to meet our family. And so Steve and Suzanne came over. And they went over to Turkey, and there's Steve and Suzanne with their son and uh, daughter-in-law and uh, grandchild. They're back over there in Turkey. They've gone back over there to Turkey now no less than ten times. Okay? They're considered part of the family now. They are there. They're all the time. Steve has picked up speaking Turkish. All right? I've been, I've been to Turkey like five times. I can't even say hello. Okay? Tur- and Steve, is, Steve and Suzanne are just beloved over there. And... As they're interacting and as they're talking and as they're friends and going on vacation with each other, now they get a chance to talk about life. They get a chance to talk about faith. And they get a chance to talk about Jesus Christ. 
They've talked about what Jesus has done in their lives. And these Muslim Turks are getting a real-life flesh and blood example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to, to invite the ends of the earth. Um, I have a friend. Her name is Iwagu. Iwagu uh, works down the road on Decorah at Serigraph. Okay? She uh, oversees part of their China division because she's Chinese and she speaks Chinese. And Iwagu's mother came over here to the United States as a, as a foreign student, graduate student, and a Christian family took her in and had them live with her. Had her live with them. And during, that, during her time in her graduate studies, they shared Jesus Christ with this woman. She became a follower of Jesus Christ. She went back home, and her husband noticed the change in her. And he says, what's up? <laughs> what happened? And she says, well, I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's like, what does that mean? And so they started reading the scriptures together. They started studying the scriptures together. And uh, then they started having a little house church, devotional time together with their, with their two girls. Okay? They're in China. They started having a house church. And then pretty soon their neighbors started knocking on the door. And they're like, what's up? We hear, we hear singing going on here. What are you doing? And they said, well, we've come to worship the one true God. Would you like to join us? And they said, yes, we would. They started a house church. And that house church multiplied. And those house churches multiplied. Now they have over a thousand people meeting in a hundred house churches all throughout that area. Because one American family took in a graduate student, told her about Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? We get a chance to be a part of this. This is the movement. This is the movement. The movement begins and acts, but it still goes on today. We get a chance to be a part of it. Jesus' full expectation for his followers is that as a result of being filled with the Spirit, that they would go out and be his witnesses. Let me tell you what Jesus never expected never anticipated, is that his followers would be filled with the Spirit and they would go out and do nothing. That would have never entered Jesus' mind in a hundred years. You know what? And it shouldn't enter ours either. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we uh, enter into this summer season where we're able to get outside and rub shoulders with our neighbors a little bit, Um, We pray that you would give us the capacity by your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses to people we love, people who are near us, people who we're friends with, people we're related to. Some of us may need some Holy Spirit courage. Some of us may need some Holy Spirit conviction. But all of us need the Holy Spirit. Can't do this without him. So we pray that as a result of being filled with your spirit, that you would empower us to go out and be your witnesses, to tell others about what you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, for his good name's sake. Amen.